0: 600 ESPN
1: Along with Adrian Broaddus, I'm Steve Kaplow. It's uh, coming your way on 600 ESPN El Paso. Uh, going to be a fun show today, and uh, I will uh, just tell you as we begin the program that uh, we didn't get a chance to spend a lot of time on uh, the great Al Line yesterday, uh, who passed away. But today on the show, we will have one of his former teammates from the Detroit Tigers. He played alongside him from 1960 to 1963. In fact, we haven't had this guest on the program in in eight years, and his name is Rocky Colavito. Some of you that um, are older, you're familiar with the name. He played from 55 to 68. Others, you might have heard the name from your your grandparents, your parents that, that remembered Rocky. Rocky Colavito simply put, was one of the great power hitters of the game over a 10-year period between 57 and 66. And talking about uh, hitting over 40 home runs three times, over 100 RBIs about uh, six times during that span. And uh, spent time with Cleveland, then went to Detroit, then a year in Kansas City, back to Cleveland, then the White Sox, Dodgers, and Yankees. But uh, really, uh, a fun guest, and uh, I'm excited about having Rocky Calavito on with us to to share some of his time uh, playing alongside Al Kaline for the Tigers outfield in the early '60s. So that'll be coming up on the program today uh, in our four o'clock hour, five o'clock hour. Ryan Carr is going to join us. He is one of the subjects. For- for today's Don Haskins Hour, along with Sergio Rocco. You know, those two uh, coached uh, with each other together uh, for Jason Rabidou, And then uh, Sergio Rocco, actually, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think the way it worked was was that Ryan started with Rabidou, Ryan Carr then was retained on the Billy Gillespie staff. Sergio Rocco and Doc Sadler came together with Billy Gillespie. Sergio recruited Philly Rivera... Doc recruited Omar Thomas and then other players were added to that mix but between Sergio and Doc they pretty much had UTEP's rebuilding with uh, Billy uh, Gillespie underway so it's going to be a fun Don Haskins hour in our 6 o'clock hour with Ryan Carr and Sergio Rocco and Ryan will join us at 5 on our Village Inn hotline. Adrian should be a lot of fun today uh, especially going uh, way back and talking to uh, Rocky Calavito who's in his mid 80s but still sharp as a tack, and then getting our old pal Ryan Carr back with us to begin our 5 o'clock hour.
0: Yeah, and I actually just got a chance to preview and check out today's Don Haskins hour, and oh man, it's so interesting. So many great conversations with Coach Haskins, Carr, and Rocco, and I'm just really excited for everybody to listen to that one. And You know, Steve, in this one, Billy Gillespie was a, a big topic and a talking point among all the coaches, and they were kind of projecting how he would fare in and it was just really interesting to see uh, everybody's perspective and what they thought of Billy Gillespie. Now, did Ryan
1: and Sergio both join us on the phone that hour?
0: No, they were both in person, live at Stateline. How about that? Holy smokes. That So we do have a state line
1: show that we're breaking out right now because of our run. The state line was the brief run. We, we spent time at Fuddruckers and a, a few shows at state line. And then we went on to a three legged monkey. So I like that. Well, We were able to get Ryan and Sergio with us together that day. That's great. I, I didn't remember when they both left uh, El Paso.
0: Yeah, and and they were the subjects of this show. They spent an entire hour with you. Also, it was great. I mean, taking phone calls, taking questions. It was a, it was just a great hour. Awesome. So that's coming up six
1: o'clock hour. And then, um, if you're a, just a, a baseball fan, folks, and you and you're a fan of nostalgia, you're going to enjoy Rocky Colavito when he joins us, uh, coming up in about 15 minutes. minutes—not actually less than that. Probably get him closer to about uh, 10 minutes or so from now on our 600ES Piano Paso Village in hotline where all of our guests always appear. Meanwhile, let's take a look at the voting. Today we resumed. We're going to the Sweet 16. We're currently at the round of 32, and we released the 8-1 matchups today. Uh, so far, just looking at the list, as expected, David Latin in big control over Ralph Davis. The Tim Hardaway-Nolan-Richardson battle is not what I thought it would be. I expected Nolan to get a lot of votes after what happened in his first round, but no. There are certain guys that you know when... Uh, as popular as Nolan is and and was at UTEP, when he goes up against Tim Hardaway, that's when you really start to see how everybody was you know votes towards one of the greats. And so far, uh, no major upsets brewing in these one eight or one nines. Adrian, I'm looking at Hardaway, Richardson, uh, Nate Archibald, Prince Stewart, and Jim Barnes and Jason Williams, and that might be the closest with Barnes and Williams. But for the most part everybody voting staying with the one seeds in a big way
0: yeah and we actually were anticipating hey maybe matchups would be a lot closer maybe there could be an, uh, an upset brewing uh you know with this one matchups and the top seeds but no that's not the case at all the closest matchup like you said being Jim Barnes and Jason Williams but other than that it's been pretty dominant for all the top seeds when will we finally see an upset Steve I maybe in the second round we'll see one of the one seeds go down Maybe so.
1: I mean, the third round, right? Because we're in the second round right now. Sweet 16. Maybe so. Um, I will say this, by the way. um, This is a great question from Pinky on Twitter. Weird. Some of the pairings have more votes than others. Just wondering. What happens is this, Pinky. There are four... Um, matchups you can vote on but sometimes when people click they only see one or two they don't necessarily see all four which is why some people have voted for some more than others because you got to realize that we have a total of four and when you go you might you might have to to look a little bit to find all four it doesn't always drop down immediately especially if you go to maybe the third or fourth voting in the thread as opposed to the first or second adrian
0: yeah sometimes it just pops out uh you know randomly depending on what platform you're using Twitter. I know if you're using it on your phone, it'll pop out the last two on the thread. If you're looking at it from a a mobile or a, a desktop, sometimes the thread doesn't even pop out. So all you have to do is just click on the thread. All the different matchups will come out and people are able to vote there. Excellent.
1: If you haven't voted, do so during the show. I'd love to keep the votes coming in as we find out if all number one seeds will uh, survive into the Sweet 16. It's starting to look like that today. We will go uh, tomorrow, and uh, tomorrow will be fun because we're going to keep the uh, rounds moving all the way through Friday as well. So a lot going on as we continue our all-time UTEP men's basketball voting here at 600 ESPN El Paso. On the mobile app, you can uh, submit your vote via the chat powered by United Bank. You can also phone in or just go to Twitter. Three ways to get in and through to it. So, good show lined up for you today. Adrian, I don't hide the fact that after 25 years of hosting sports radio shows, shows like today, guests like Rocky Colavito pump me up because not just the fact that we're talking to guys that are in their 70s or 80s, I'm just excited because there are not as many around like there were when I started in this business. And anytime we can go back in time and talk about a Hall of Famer like Al Kaline from the eyes of somebody that patrolled the outfield, what um, – 60 years ago in detroit that to me is what i live for with these radio shows
0: oh i love it steve and the fact that he even has some ties to el paso that that even brings out the best in this interview that's coming up and you know the fact that he played exhibition games here as well it just makes it so fun and hey even a little local flavor for this interview coming up No doubt, no
1: doubt. So Rocky Colavito will be coming up next on the program uh, as we uh, kick things off here on a Tuesday. Before we get to Charlie and come back uh, with our first guest of the show, are you disappointed that the Tampa Bay Bucks? did not go back to the orange creamsicle jerseys and instead went back to the pewter and some of the other uh, jerseys from about uh, 15, 20 years ago.
0: Oh, I knew you'd ask me this, Steve. And yes, I am disappointed. I was looking for those creamsicle jerseys. And instead we get these futuristic ripoffs of the you know 2003 Super Bowl run for Tampa Bay. I, I, don't, I, I think they're okay. I think the black jersey will probably be the uh, largest selling as far as the brady jerseys go i think the white one is is kind of overrated right now and the red one well i mean that's probably going to be their alternate i think the black one is my favorite of the three i'll tell you this much this these these jerseys they just brought back were launched in
1: 97 we interviewed tony dungy on crunch time when i hosted that show back in 97 and our first discussion was the new uniforms and now they're back and it's 23 years later
0: wow so, oh man
1: it's, it's the full circle here on Sports Talk. Charlie Wan's going to kick it off. Then Rocky Colavito is going to join us on our Village Inn hotline. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues. It's 600 ESPN El Paso.
0: six hundred
1: Welcome back, everybody, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Steve Kaplow, it's uh, joining right now on our Village Inn Hotline. uh, One of my great uh, guests, because we get to talk about one of the uh, all-time great players, an Al Kaline, who uh, had just passed away, one of the legendary Hall of Famers and legendary Detroit Tigers. And uh, here's a man that had the opportunity to spend uh, four great seasons with him in Detroit, probably some of the prime years of his career, and that's the great Rocky Colavito, who uh, joins us here on Sports Talk. Rocky, first off, it's been eight years since I had you last on the show with us in El Paso, so thanks for making a return, especially a chance to talk about uh, the great al
2: It's my pleasure, and uh, uh, I enjoy talking about him. I'm very saddened uh, by the course of events, so uh, you ask it, and I'll do the best I can to tell you the truth and how I felt.
1: I appreciate it. Now, the first time you joined us on the show, um, back in, mm-hmm. in 2012, you mentioned at the start of the interview that you had been through El Paso playing an, an exhibition game, and we didn't get into a lot of details about it, but I was mm-hmm. curious if you remember right around the time frame when, when you came through and, and kind of the, uh, the scenario that, that took place in El Paso back then.
2: Well, <clears throat> we played the Giants. See, I... I went to spring training in 1955 with the Indians. But so after spring training, actually spring training wasn't over, but we would travel north with the Giants and, uh, and rode the same trains, sometimes the same plane, which was pretty dangerous. Uh, because if, if, if the plane got wiped out, that meant two teams got wiped out. So, but at any rate, that never happened. Thank God. And, uh, and, and we were, we played the Giants in El Paso. We played them in uh, Austin. We, we played all along a lot of the Texas towns of that size. So, and we drew extremely well because they had been in the World Series in '54.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Matter of fact, in '54, the World Series was Cleveland. And the uh, Giants. So, essentially, you gave fans uh, a, a replay of what uh, the 54 series was all about in towns across uh, towns across the state of Texas, which is great, because Vic Worth was playing first base for Cleveland that season. You had Al Rosen, Ralph Kiner, Larry Doby. It was a star-studded team. And then, of course, on the other side, uh, Willie Mays and, and the great Giants of that time period.
2: Oh, yeah. Mays, Cepeda, uh, They they had some... They had some great players, and uh, they did. Willie Mays was probably the the greatest player that I ever saw, and Mickey was a close second. But they they were almost they were almost comparable. Uh, you know, Manuel was a, a great player too. Well, Mays Mays could do everything, and so could Mickey, for that matter. But his enthusiasm just flowed over okay, for the game. He was. When we played an all-star game against him, he would he would take his throws from center field like I would from right and all that kind of thing, and, uh, and then he would go to the shortstop, and the shortstop would leave, and he'd, he'd play shortstop. That's how much he enjoyed the game. I mean, during an you... infield practice.
1: You had terrific seasons with the Indians. You played there till you're uh, you, you were 25, and then uh, following two back-to-back 40 home run, 100 plus RBI seasons, uh, you get traded to Detroit, and it was a shock—a shock to the baseball world, I'm sure. Is was it also at the same time a, a shock to you, or was it something that you ever did? You see it coming, Rocky?
2: No, I never did. It was mentioned one time—a trade for Nate for Keen. In the winter, because I was having contract problem with Frank Lane. Frank Lane didn't like me at all. He was dying to get rid of me. For one thing, Frank Lane was an egomaniac. I don't have a whole lot of good to say about Frank Lane, so it's best if I don't say too much. But uh, Frank Lane was an egomaniac, as I said, and he, uh, he, he wanted all the publicity he could get. And as a matter of fact, He had a secretary, with same one for Greenberg, same one for Gabe Paul, and, and right down the line, his name was Bob Gill. And Bob Gill's job for Frank Lane, the first thing in the morning, he had to go through 35 papers that they subscribed to, 35, every morning to see if he could find Frank Lane's name in the sports section. So he had to go through 35 sports sections, and and t- if he had, he come up with something, he had to show it to Frank Lane immediately. Is, is that a is that an egomaniac or not?
1: Especially since that was such a different time back then. You know, now you oh, think yeah. about, you know, you've got you've got the internet, you have social media, and everybody oh, yeah. has a voice, but. But back then, Rocky, the only voice people ever had was the newspapers, and I can't believe that somebody would want 35 just to try to find and search for his name on a daily basis.
2: And I, I couldn't believe it either, but I know it was a fact. And if Bob Gill was alive, I highly doubt if he, is, he had to be over 100. Uh, if he was alive, I'm sure he would verify what I just said.
1: Unreal. Unreal. So— um, and before Frank Lane um, in Cleveland, it was about Hank Greenberg, right, running the team as the general manager.
2: Yep, and he was the best. He was a novice guy, a really good guy. And I I told, we talked about the story that, uh, and I can repeat it uh, for us, if you'd like, uh, I had a contract. Uh, it was after my fifty-six season, and and Hank sent me a contract for, for I was making $12,000. $12,000, that's all. And, and Hank sent me a contract for 13.5. And I said to Hank, I called him on the phone, or he called me after which. and he said, you know, I'm sending you a contract for 13.5. I said, Hank, I said, I'm only asking you for $3,000 raise. I think that's reasonable as hell. And he said, well, he said, Rocky, sign, sign it for 1500 He said, I said, Hank, I'm not going to sign this contract. I said, I think I'm worth the 15000 and that I asked you for, 3000 raise, you know, after my 56th season. And uh, and he said, well, he said, I want you to sign this 1500 And I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you play in 100 games, meaning if I became a regular, he said, I'll give you the fifteen hundred. I said deal. I said and I, and I signed the contract, sent it back, and, and it, it got. I had and then. that became fifty-eight season, right? So I had thirty-four home runs going into September, early September, right around Labor Day, and I had thirty-four home runs, as I said, and I had ninety-eight runs batted day. So that was a criteria we talked about. So I said to him, uh, I went up to his office and went into his office, and as soon as he saw me, this is why I respect him He said, "I know why you're here." Yeah, I said, "Yeah, why?" He said, "Bob, get me a che- get me write me a check for fifteen hundred dollars." Said. Rocky earned it. <laughs> I I never forgot it. And
1: That's awesome. You,
2: you know, just, you don't forget people like that. Because most general managers are liars. Most. Not all. Most. They, they they say one thing, and then they deny they ever said it. And that always annoyed the hell out of me. And as a matter of fact, I, I call Frank Lane um, an effing liar. Because he said he never said he he said he would give me a certain amount of money if I did a certain amount of you know uh, home runs or whatever at at, at that he 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 wanted everything his way. He even had a clause that he wanted to put in there about not hitting home runs. You know, I, I get paid so much for not hitting home runs. I'm, you know what? I got traded to Detroit and. And the, and the general manager over there, he tore up the contract. He said, "You don't worry about that." It was about a two thousand dollars, and he wrote me a check for two thousand dollars.
1: Unreal. And I want to talk about those great Detroit years with Al Kaline as we continue here with Rocky Calavito. But before we do, let's go to Adrian and get a bottom of the hour Sports Center update as we continue.
0: Six hundred ESPN El Paso.com.
1: We're back right now with the great Rocky Colavito, again, remembering the life of Al Kaline. You came to Detroit in 1960, and the year you came to Detroit, you were in right field, and Kaline was in center. But then the following year, you moved to left and Al moved to, uh, to right field. Um, the four years you were there, you had some incredibly productive seasons. And, Rocky, you, you had uh, 1961 was unbelievable, but it was also that great year for, for Mantle and Maris, and then you followed up in 62 with a terrific season. Um, mm-hmm. What was it like playing in the same outfield with K-Line during those early 60s years with Detroit?
2: Well, let's face it, okay? k Line was a superb athlete. K Line could do it all. He could run well. He didn't have really major speed or manual speed, but he was close. He he could throw like hell, he could field, he was an excellent outfielder, excellent. Way above average. And he could hit he could hit and hit with power. I mean, that's the numbers, that's the kind of titles that you would want for a superstar, and he was definitely a superstar. It was a pleasure to play on both sides of him. And the reason uh, they called me, I was away in New Hampshire uh, hunting, deer hunting, uh, with my two uncles and my brother, and he, and uh, Campbell called me and said, would I mind moving over to to left field? And I said, why? He said, we're going to make a deal for a center fielder uh, when we put K-Line back in right field. I said, fine. I said, I don't care, just so long as you pencil me in every day. I said, I want to play every day with no, no BS, okay? And he said, there'll be no problem. You'll be the left fielder. K-Line will be the right, right fielder back in his familiar spot. And, and, uh, and we're going to get Billy Bruton to play center field for Milwaukee. They traded Frank Bowling to him. I'm like, you know something? K-Line was one hell of a center fielder, let me tell you. And I like Bruton immensely. He's a good guy. But if I was going to take numbers or pick a guy, I'd have to pick K-Line over over Bruton. Like I said, he was an outstanding fielder. Got a good jump on the ball. Uh, had Had a great arm. He he just was a great player. That's all there is to it. it
1: sort. Now, your first year in 1960, that was mm-hmm. the year Charlie Maxwell was playing left for Detroit right. before you were right. shifted over. So, in your opinion, right. you would have just found another left fielder and just kept K-Line in center and kept you in right.
2: That's exactly right. I would I would have never made that deal. I mean, that's me. <clears throat> Because, you know, when you play with somebody, you really you get a feel for how good the guy is. And and Charlie Maxwell was one hell of a good guy and one hell of a good hitter. And they used to call him uh, Charlie Paul, Paul Sunday, you know, because he hit a bunch of home runs on Sunday, and you can look that up. And he, and he's from Purple Michigan. And uh, and Charlie could hit, and uh, he, he he impressed me immensely as both. A human being and and a, pl- a hitter and a player. And k of course, I just told you, he was a great player. And uh, so to me, I would have left it the way, the way it was. But I wasn't in charge and I wasn't making the decisions. So, but that was one that I didn't think they needed to make.
1: What impressed you the most about K-Line as a teammate? Was it the defense? Was it the consistency on offense? What was it?
2: I would say consistency. k yeah, I mean, defensively, he was done better. I mean, he was, a, he, was a, he was a great fielder. He could throw real well accurately. i never seen him. Uh, he and Roger Mather, i never seen either one make a bad throw, especially in a crucial spot. And uh, so, uh, you had to be impressed. He he was a no, a no uh, BS guy. He, he didn't brag, and he didn't spout off, uh, you know, and tell people how good he was. And it was obvious. You just had to watch him play. So, I uh, he, he was, if you weren't really impressed with him, you weren't a good baseball fan. In
1: 1961... You win 101 games, you finish runner-up to the Yankees that year, and yep. I look at the numbers that you put together 45 home runs, 140 RBIs. You batted mm-hmm. 290. You, you took 113 walks. You only struck out 75 times. Norm Cash had a great year that season, too. K line hit 324. I mean, you know, of all the years in Detroit, by far and away, that was the year that it all clicked for you. What was the difference that season?
2: When you say difference, that's you know, it, it, I think this is what you mean. Uh, you know, you it takes, when you get traded like that, and you get traded for a very popular player in that town,
3: uh, and
2: I came for Colorado, you know, and he went to Cleveland and he wore my uniform. I came to Detroit and wore his uniform. And, and you know, people expect a lot from you. So it was like an adjustment year, you know. It took. It seemed to take the year to adjust. Uh, I think I hit 35 home runs that first year, and they, I, had, I think 87 RBIs. And uh, so I, I, I think it took me a year to get adjusted. In '61, uh, I mean, the reception by the fans was better. Uh, I guess they got used to me. I guess they, uh, you know, realized that I'm there to stay. Or at least they thought so. And, and I was for a while. So, I don't know. I, I just think it took a year to adjust.
1: I hear you. Now, I've heard that off the field, Al Kaline was an unbelievable person all the way through, even after his baseball days. They said just one of the, the nicest people you could ever recall. Um, you know, you were there. Mm-hmm. You lived it. You lived uh, for four years as a Tiger with him. What, what can you tell us about, uh, about Kaline's personality off the field?
2: A-line didn't bother anybody ever. I never saw him in an altercation. I never saw him be abrasive to anybody. Uh, I, I had a lot of respect for that, and uh, and you know he was a big star. He was he was Detroit's baby, There's no doubt about it. I mean, who the hell comes up to the big leagues from high school and leads the league in hitting the, the next year? I mean, it's un- it's unheard of. Lead for the league in hitting, and they had some great hitters, you know, great hitters. And uh, so, I, you, you had to respect his ability, and and he was a calm guy. He, he didn't get that bad of shape about nothing that I ever saw. I mean, yeah, I, I, I didn't mentioned something. Market,
1: yep. But did you guys now? Did you guys ever room together in Detroit?
2: No, no, nope, I never roomed with him. I roomed with Jim Bunny. I roomed with Jim Bunning. The first year, I roomed with a nice kid from from Illinois by the name of Pete Burnside, a hard-throwing left-hander. And Pete was one, one hell of a guy. And that was the first roommate they gave me. He was, I roomed with more left-hand pitchers than you can shake a stick at. I mean, I roomed with a <laughs> bunch.
1: What was the what was the uh, philosophy besides uh, you know trying to put you with a lefty pitcher as opposed to just put you with another uh, position player?
2: I have no idea. I never I never could figure it out. But I always room I room with Nichols from Nichols. His name was Nichols from Boston, the the England area. Uh, I room with Pete first. Uh, I room with Nichols. I room with Herb Score. Of course, was my best friend, and I room with him. I room with Herb Score at least a piece or all of seven straight years and on the road and off the road. So, you know, you get to really know somebody in those times because, you know, you're there every day with them. It's, it's, it's like having a, being with your wife every day, you know? And then I we, we I... never had, Herbie and I never had a harsh word. We told his wife that once. This is not that long ago. Down in Florida, we were visiting them, and, and Nancy said, oh, come on, you know. And Herbie looked at her, and I looked at her, and I said, not one time did we ever have a harsh word. And, I, and what's more, I said, it isn't that we agreed on everything the other one agreed on. I said, it was just we respected the other one's opinion, and that was the truth. Never one time did we have an argument a harsh word. A disagreement
1: maybe yeah tell me this as we get a chance to wrap up our conversation with you rocky sure. I, a lot of Go my ahead. listeners are going to hear this interview and they're probably too young to remember your playing days but they might have heard mm-hmm. about it from their parents who uh, who were around and, and do remember your nine all-star appearances and those great seasons you had in cleveland and detroit how would you like to be remembered most for what you were able to do on the baseball diamond
2: how would I like to be remembered most on what I did on the baseball diamond? Yes, sir. That's your question, right? I would rather anybody that knew me or met me, not on the baseball diamond, but as a human being, as a gentleman and nice to people, and I would rather be remembered from whatever God-given talent I had, uh, and I had plenty that he gave me, and uh, I, that, that's how I feel. I'd rather be remembered for a gentleman and a courteous to people, and uh, and that's it. I mean, not, not so much on the diamond.
1: I love it. It's the off the, it's the off the field uh, reputation. And uh, I think that's a great way to, to wrap things up with you. And I do appreciate all that time you spent with us today. It's been a pleasure getting a chance to to talk to you again, Rocky. We love it. And uh, thank you for being so gracious with your time and, and taking us back to your playing days and, and remembering those great years. Oh, by the way, one thing for you, Rocky, Frank Lane tried Ooh. to trade Stan usual for Robin Roberts. So you're in an exclusive club there when you're dealing with a guy <laughs> that was trying to always trade the face of the, the of the, Team, no matter where he was.
2: Yeah, I I once heard that. I and I found it. I I know Bush for the Knicks on that and, ours, and I never could understand why Nate Dolan, who was the owner of of Cleveland, and you know what his excuse was. I thought this was weak. His excuse was that he never thought he would do it, trade me, and and I'm not in usual's class. I realize that. What what I'm saying is. Were you going to trade the player that people uh, would come to see and, and admired, and the kids like like me, and I, I just never thought that. Uh, I mean, he said he never thought that he would do it, and and he did it without without any uh, notice from Frank Lane. I I can't believe he allowed anything like that. To me, if I was the owner. I would right now now say to him, you don't trade this guy or you're fired. Yep. That's just yep. what I would have That's, told. by the way,
1: August Bush stopped the deal on Musial and Roberts. When he heard about it, he he, mm-hmm. he squashed it. So, you know, you could have had the same thing uh, with the owner of the, of the Indians. Could have done the exact same thing, but he didn't.
2: I agree. I agree 100%. And that's, in, in essence, that's what I'm saying. You're the owner. Yep. You got the power. You tell you you don't want a certain person traded, whoever it is, and uh, a fan favorite, especially you. You don't say you, you don't allow something like that. You tell them right out if you're thinking about it, because there was rumors, I guess, and I didn't hear them. I, and I would say if you're thinking about it, don't, because if you do, you are fired. I, I I would let them have it because this Absolutely. guy, this guy was an egomaniac, and he was an idiot. He really, you know something, he couldn't see. He could not see. I I, <laughs> I came into a, a little a morning coffee shop in, in Cleveland. I'm, I'm throwing another one on you. And, uh, and I walked right up to him, and I saw him there. And I said, uh, you know, that's yeah. over with now. You know, my trade. I was very emotional about it one time. When I walked up to him. I said, "Hi, Frank." And he looked at me, and I'm standing not two feet from him, face to face. And he's squinting his eyes, squinting back and, forth, and looking at me. And finally, I got a little closer yet. I bet I wasn't six or eight inches from his face. And he's so oh, rocky. He said, "He didn't see me. He couldn't see me. How the hell can he judge?" How good a player was? How could you judge it? He, yep. he used to yep. carry that's that. ten fifty binoculars and sit in the upper deck and look with those binoculars at the players. He he did not have a concept of any challenge.
1: Unbelievable! That's 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 a crazy I, story. Yeah.
2: Yeah. How does a guy like that get a job like that? I just don't understand it.
1: Me neither. And I still can't believe, yeah, the trades, the trades themselves were, were just were, were mind-boggling, really were. But you know what? Look, you had a terrific career regardless, and that's what it all comes down to. You had a 10-year run with some of the best numbers I've seen, and uh, that's, you know, that, whether it's Detroit, whether it's Cleveland, whether it's Kansas City, you did well. So that's, that's, that's what it's all about. Your body of work, and you had a terrific body of work. And then you come back to Cleveland. You come back to Cleveland a few years later, and you play in 65 mm-hmm. and have a good year.
2: Well, I appreciate and I appreciate your memory and uh, appreciate talking to you. And uh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure that somebody remembers what you've done. That's good. good, enough. good keep enough in touch, Rocky.
1: Keep in touch. You were terrific. Right. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Rocky Calavito joining us here on our 600 ESPN El Paso Village and Hotline. We'll come back, wrap up Hour 1 in a moment. Stay with us. Plenty more to come. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Jay Jaffe, Jeff Erickson tomorrow. However, we go back to 2007, late summer, right before the start of football season. A very memorable Don Haskins show that day at State Line. Because with us right now is uh, one of our featured guests. In fact, uh, it's going to be a fun show because you're going to hear from not just this man, but also Sergio Rocco, who is with him on the staff uh, with uh, Billy Gillespie. But I'm talking about uh, now longtime director of scouting for the Indiana Pacers, former UTEP assisting coach years ago. He's Ryan Carr, and he joins us live on our Village Inn hotline. Ryan, it's always good to have you back on the program. How are you doing?
4: Absolutely.
3: Time time flies. It's been, it has been a long time. Uh, so, but always good to talk to you. You know that.
1: I started thinking about this. Did you arrive at UTEP in 98 or 99?
3: Uh, 99. So, yeah, in September 99, uh, came down right, you know, right after Coach Haskins retired and Jason was, was hired. School had already started and, Kind of on the fly, Uh, you know, getting your feet wet, you know, while everything was going on. It was was interesting timing. Uh, But, yeah, 1999.
1: So 21 years ago, and I remember when we first got to know each other, the toughest decision you told me about taking the UTEP job was leaving Larry Bird and the Pacers.
3: 100%. um, I still remember that day uh because I had I had spent two years doing video for him. He was coaching the Pacers at the time. And I mean I was I was young, uh back then, twenty you know, twenty five I think. Um and had you know, it was the teams were really good. Uh Pacers uh, we had just gone to the Eastern Conference Finals two years in a row. Um but it was a hard decision, and and Larry, Larry's the best. He, you know, he, Larry never thinks about, you know, NBA, college, high school. Like I, I think his high school coach is still, you know, someone he regards incredibly, you know, high. So, as I was talking to different people, and their, you know, some advice was don't leave the NBA. Uh, you know, Larry, Larry's advice was, hey, I mean, you, you've done video here. You're a manager in Indiana and go, go do it. Like go get experience as a, as a coach down there. It's a good school. They have a great history that, you know, it would be an unbelievable experience for you. And so he, he was really a, a strong proponent and, uh, of me doing that. And, and it, it worked out well. We stayed in, in, in pretty close touch all my four years down there. And Um, you know, I would call him when we were on TV and make sure he, he was able to tune in and watch, and, um, you know, it was, it was great. I did leave that 99-2000 season, my first at UTEP. The Pacers did make their only appearance in the NBA Finals, so I missed that. Um, but but it's all worked out well, and, and it was a great experience uh, in El Paso for sure.
1: I'm trying to do the timeline and figure out. You must have just been back in El Paso visiting in '07, right? Yeah, my getting you.
3: married. So uh, my youngest right. brother Travis, who was a manager for us, uh, was uh, getting married, and so came back. Uh, our twins were shoot like two years old, and it was it was actually a lot of fun. My grandfather and grandmother were were yeah. able to attend the that show and we were all sitting outside and, and I got to coach Haskins. I got to introduce them to my two, you know, my, my twins at that point, which was very, very special for me. And to get to see you and Sergio as well it was it was really a great, great evening that, I mean, I have great, great memories from.
1: Do you remember the first time you ever met Don Haskins, what that was like for you?
3: I I do, and this is interesting uh, because, you know, I ha- I was a, a student manager for Bob Knight at Indiana when I was in school, and uh, and I I obviously knew about Coach Haskins well. We never played UTEP when I was at Indiana, but uh, it was well known uh, about how good a friends they were and and how how they really respected and admired each other. So I heard I had heard a lot about Coach Haskins, and you you can't go through Indiana basketball at that time and not be a historian of the game. So I knew, you know, all the history and, and the players that had, had been a gone through UTEP and Tim Floyd and coach and and everybody. So, uh, when, like I said, when I got down there school had already started and I think coach, coach Haskins was trying to give Jason a little bit of space. Uh, I didn't want to, totally overshadow him but at the same time wanted to be a resource so uh, he would he would he'd come pick up uh, Jason and the pickup and they'd go driving around and it took it took quite some time for me to to really meet him maybe, maybe like a year uh, and then I was going to get married and somebody came up to me and said hey coach Haskins wants to get you a, a wedding gift but he doesn't really know what to get you <laughs> and I, I just kind of laughed I was like he doesn't have to get, get me anything and and that was in August of 2000 and, and shortly thereafter uh, ended up uh, finding myself in the truck and uh, getting to spend a little bit of time with him and you know he he had uh, I, he never told me this but he, somebody else had told me that he had talked to Coach Knight and asked asked about me and, and, and all that. and I think coach Knight signed off on me. So at that point he, he really, he really, uh, you know, uh, started calling me and, and talking and we ended we <clears throat> we actually share the same birthday. So I got to, we, we celebrated a couple of birthdays together, uh, which are, uh, two of the more memorable birthdays that I've had. And, um, Really, just some some special times, and 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 really had got to spend a, a lot of time with them when uh, Jason stepped down and before Billy uh, was hired, and there was a you know a two week period or so in that time frame where we had already started practice and Coach started coming to practice and helping us, and you know Junsi and and, uh, and Bobby and I. And, just uh really a, a, it was a crazy time, but it was it was in a lot of ways really a special special time. I still have in my in my desk some some drawings that he did uh, over breakfast during that time of some different plays and different ideas that that uh, he was passing along to us so it was uh, it was a, a pretty pretty awesome uh, relationship. Once I left to come back to the Pacers, he we sit i i talked to him just as much um up until really he his his health really started to decline um towards the end, but we would talk geez, i think almost weekly we we'd talk about all kinds of stuff and he he was um you know it was a little bit different than coach Knight coach Knight was not as uh, he, he just he just wasn't i didn't have the same type of relationship that was so um you know, open, and and, uh, and Coach Haskins really, really opened up. And, uh, you know, those, again, like some of the times I got to spend with them were, uh, were very, very special memories.
1: Ryan Carr with us here on our Village in Hotline. I was going to ask you about the difference between the two, between uh, Coach Knight. Yeah, they're, and, and, and,
3: they're a lot alike. Um, you know, and if I uh, – you know, maybe you know. I I, I think like I would still get a chance to visit with Coach Knight quite often. He moved back to to Bloomington, and it's pretty close, so I'll go down and and see him. And uh, he he's a little bit more, um, you know, he's kind of softened uh, a little bit, and, and uh, he's a little, you know, he's a little bit more of a storyteller, like Coach Haskins kind of kind of was now, and and so n- now it's it's very similar, but back um you know when when coach Knight was was younger just he was just his conversations always are are pretty quick and and with somebody like me who had been a student manager for him uh super gracious, but when I talked to him on the phone, it was you know how are you doing? how's it going good you know is there anything I can do for you? you just let me know and you know that that kind of that kind of- qu- uh more quick conversation where coach Haskins you know, when I knew him, there was there was usually nothing very quick about it. It usually you knew you were you were going to be uh, tied up for a time.
1: I love the fact that uh, while you were a student manager, Pat Knight was playing for his dad at Indiana, and then now he's working for you with the Pacers. It's like the whole Knight relationship has come full circle. Yeah. It,
3: it, it's really really special, and I mean again like. I grew up in Seattle, I, you know, I come out to Indiana to go to college and, uh, you know, I, I know Pat was on the show. Pat Pat, and I couldn't, probably couldn't be uh, more opposite in just, uh, you know, just uh, the outgoingness and, and all that stuff. He's, he's way more, uh, you know, just uh he's crazy he he uh, in those years years he was he was he was pretty crazy, so we ended up being roommates uh Pat was best man at my wedding uh have all he he really became like in college a big brother to me uh you know i was I was the oldest brother and growing up, and pat kind of looked after me and we were kind of a little bit the odd couple and and kind of still are so uh when when he got let go at Lamar. Uh it's it's an awesome story. You know, Larry had known that Pat and I were, were friends for most of my life and uh as as soon as it happened, I had just I had just called Pat just to check on him. That morning I saw it and he was doing fine or whatever. I got off the phone with Pat and Larry texts me and says, Hey, I don't know what you know, I don't know what plans Pat has, but if he needs a job uh, and this was like in the middle, this was in, say, February or something. Let him, let him know, we'll we'll hire him. And uh, I called Pat back, and he, he's like, what, man? You know, he's, uh, he's kind of down in the dumps. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. We just got off the phone, and Larry just said, if you want to come work for us, you know, he'll hire you. And, and obviously uh, Larry's relationship with Pat's dad is, um, you know, kind of, part of Larry's legendary story. Goes to Indiana. He's only there for a little bit of time. and uh, Really no fault to Coach Knight. Uh, Some of the older players that, you know, kind of, kind of, I don't want to use the word hazed, but didn't treat Larry real well as a a freshman. And he just, you know, he left Indiana, uh, ended up at Indiana State. So, you know, the, I think it was it was a pretty cool take me out of it um but just uh the the way that that kind of came full circle and you know Larry going to play for coach at Indiana, but you know deciding that wasn't the place for him, and then you know coming back around so many years later and and uh you know want want to hire Pat and Pat had to do a great job for us scouting the western Conference the uh, NBA and Juhi, he lives out in Las Vegas, and um, you know it, it's been a lot of fun to to be able to work with somebody that you know so well and trust, and um, you know as one of our, yeah, one of our scouts.
1: It's a great story, Ryan. Uh, I want to yeah. come back and talk more about your UTEP year. So let's do that when we return. Absolutely. Okay. More with Ryan Carr as sports talk continues. But first, here's Charlie One with this traffic update.
0: Six hundred ESPN El Paso.com.
1: You know, you talk about uh, Ryan's story since he left Utah. It's really amazing because he came on board as a scout for the Pacers in the summer of '03, and uh, he worked for just a little more than six years as a scout. Then he becomes the director of scouting. In August of two thousand and nine, does that for the next eight years, and uh, since September of twenty seventeen, he's been the director of player personnel. Not a bad uh, little uh, rise yeah. up the ladder for a guy that arrived uh, in his late twenties and now is in uh, what his mid forties. And you've been—it uh, yeah. seems like you've been for there forever, sixteen years uh, with the Pacers. Incredible.
3: Yeah, so fortunate to you know to be at a place that. Um, Great ownership and stability, and they believe in continuity. And uh, they've had, I mean, great, great leadership. You know, Donnie Walsh, Larry Bird, Kevin Prisher, you know, people that are, are so good at what they do, um, you know, been able to learn a tremendous amount and been fortunate enough that the teams uh, have have done well for the most part. Been able to stay in one place. I, you know, in in this profession, whether it's coaching in college or, you know, any kind of uh, competitive athletics, it's it's awful hard to to be around for a long time in one place. And I think about UTEP and obviously Coach Haskins. And I, I mean, I remember Coach Kitchens, you know, track coach forever. And you know, it, it's just a special thing when people can you know, figure it out be really successful and be able to be there for a long time and you know, I'm about halfway through my career at this point, I hope, and you know, who knows what what happens. Um but, you know, I've certainly been fortunate not to have to put the for sale sign out in front of the house too often.
1: You know, I would think that for you, just looking at your progression up the ranks, next up would be general manager. And I'm sure for you, since you've done everything from scouting now to player personnel, you'd love uh, an opportunity one day to run an NBA franchise.
3: Oh, de- definitely, and it's it's um, it's something I would I would love to do. I've always, you know, as through these years, where you know maybe you think that that could be possible at some point. Uh, I've always told I I never wanted to rush through that opportunity. They're so hard to get. anywhere. there's only 30 NBA teams, and just just really really hard. And there's so many talented, you know, people and working in this league that uh, I I don't know if I'll get that chance. I would I would love love to. Um, you know, like I said, I've I've been, I mean, super fortunate and blessed. Really, I mean not even just, like, using that as a, you know, as a figure of speech, but for sure the people I've been able to work with are, are like, uh, you know, really special people, and I'd love to get a chance to take what what I've learned from all of them and give it a shot. But, you know, again, at the same time you look back and you see, you know, I I remember, you know, where I started and, uh, you know, not you know five foot six hundred and twenty pound high school kid just trying to make his basketball team so you know he can't lose perspective in that i'm i'm super fortunate i i mean i'd probably have better odds of winning the lottery of having a career I've like had. so just just always keep that in mind and, and we'll see what happens if, if uh if i get that chance uh i think i'll be ready for it but if i if that never happens um you know, then, then, I'm I'm really proud of of every everything and I've been able to accomplish, and the whole thing is, you know, I hope hope that the people that have stuck their neck out for me, and there's been a lot of them, are, you know, I've made them proud and glad that they did that. So that you know, that's just it is kind of the, you know, how I try to how I try to go about it.
1: Ryan Carr with us on our Village Inn hotline as Sports Talk continues. You know, you made a lot of friends during your four years in El Paso, mm. uh, especially with uh, with Kim. As you mentioned, you came here, you got yeah. married, started a family, that um, eventually you came back with twins uh, for this particular Don Haskins uh, radio hour that we're going to play with Sergio Rocco. And it's funny, you, you talk a lot in this hour about Billy Gillespie. You talk about past UTEP teams, the NBA, the way the game is played. It's a fun hour because you and Sergio uh, joined the Bear for the entire sixty-minute conversation, and at that time, you just returned after being back uh, for the with the Pacers for four years as a scout. So it's going to be a neat trip back in time when we get a chance to play this uh, here next hour.
3: Yeah, I can't. I can't wait to listen to it and uh, and hear <laughs> hear what, what what wisdom I spewed across your uh you know your radio show. but I I know when you asked me it was. I mean, it was a no-brainer, a huge honor. And, and Sergio, to this day, as a close fan, I, I text with him quite often and talk. And, um, you know, so it, it was, you know, the uh, the amount that I look up to Don Haskins doesn't even, I couldn't even put it into words. So, you know, the fact that you even have it recorded is, uh, is pretty awesome. That, you know, awesome to me that I got to, you know, do it at all so I can't wait to listen to it as well
1: meanwhile the superstar UTEP while you were there uh, coaching was Brandon Wolfram and uh, Wolfram uh, is a two seed in our 64 greatest players in the history of the program. We started a bracket last week. We're now into the round of 32, and we're making our way to the Sweet 16 and eventually the best uh, Texas Western Utah player in the history of the program, and he's got a bracket right now that's going to feature Chris Sandel in in a second round matchup. Then on the other end of the bracket, he's got Luster Goodwin and Antonio Davis, and then if he can get through that, you're talking about Tim Hardaway and either gus bailey or orston artist so uh you know you and talk this about
3: is, this is just based on their careers that you have not taken into account afterwards like for tim or is correct it, or well no, the okay. hardaway
1: is a one seat hardaway is a one seat so right we right. did but, we we didn't impact that yes
3: but is it but so voting under the are you voting just on their utep careers
1: Yes, but you realize okay. that from a popularity standpoint, uh, like oh if it's, yeah, no question.
3: You know. I wouldn't. I don't. I, 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 I would, I, that would be a tough one for me because I love Brandon Wolfram, but I mean, I know you
1: that's that's true, but Brandon Wolfram really uh, left his mark on the program when he played uh, for you and for Rab, and uh, took the yeah. team as far as the NIT. And you know, it's just it goes to show you just uh, sometimes uh, how valuable guys like that. He was great in the classroom, he was great on the court, and you know, Brandon's still uh, living in El Paso today. He's made a career for himself here. He's raised his family here, and it's been great to see him as a uh, you know as a businessman after all these years as a player.
3: Well. One thing about Brandon was there was nobody more intelligent. I mean, he he was and is uh, extremely intelligent, and he was very very black and white. So right and wrong. So he, you know, if there was something he was supposed to do, he was going to do it. And on the court, that translated to you know taking really good shots that he could make. I mean, his field goal percentage was off the charts. You know, it, even in the two years that we were able to coach him, uh, he really expanded to be able to shoot outside and handle the ball better. And, I mean, who, who, I mean, he, I mean, he was all time leading scorer for the program. Uh, I, I don't know if that still stands, but at that time, and, you know, the, the most successful years of the program were before him. So, you know, that's a huge accomplishment. Um, and he really was the backbone of the whole transition uh, for our staff taking over after Coach Haskins, and was the guy that night in, night out, you knew you could rely on. And you know whether it was you know Jerry Tarkanian's you know Fresno State team or whoever it was, you know Brandon was Brandon was probably uh, at least on a statistical basis going to be the best player on the floor. And so that gave us, that gave us a chance in, in just about every game.
1: Ryan Carr with us on our Village Inn hotline. All right, uh, before we wrap things up, was there one Haskins story that stood out to you amongst all the others that you either heard or you experienced firsthand?
3: Well, I would say a couple of them. Number one, uh, I wasn't there. But be, again, with the Coach Knight and Coach Haskins connection, I... Uh, the whole sweater slash tie thing. I wish I would have been there for uh, just just because of being able to live on both sides of that. Uh, that would have just been a really, really a uh, funny and and uh, hysterical thing to see uh, them do that. Um, I think for me personally, uh, I don't know. Again, like a couple of the couple of birthdays that we celebrated at Sassy's, uh, you know. With, with some of the, the local friends there were were pretty special memories. Um, you know, I, I, I just think there's a couple couple times where he, he told me he was proud of me, that that meant the world to me, and, and just so, just some things like that. I don't know if there's a story. Uh, I think it's just the time that you, you know, it's the time that I got to spend with him. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I never foresaw uh, that happening uh, and just really – Really fortunate to have had that. I mean, to this day, I still haven't erased his phone number out of my phone. Like, I just won't do it. So, um, you know, that's a that's a you know, and, and Mary was so sweet to us, and uh, you know, the whole family. So, just just really, uh, uh, maybe not an exact story, but just uh, just an overall, um, you know, great gratefulness for for uh, him. To, him taking the time you know we were uh, i don't know 40 some years apart on the same birthday and, and uh he you know the time he, he spent with me was awful special
1: hey you're gonna love the he has a, a lot of compliments for both you and and coach Roko, So you'll enjoy that mm. uh, next hour you'll have to listen to that i'm not going to spoil yeah, it Yeah, but...
3: definitely for sure
1: but I will say this: I was with you for one of those birthday celebrations at Sassy's, and uh, <laughs> I'll just uh, I'll just say that you really enjoyed yourself in terms of uh, being in Coach's company. It was a lot of fun, and uh, it definitely lived up fun. to its rep. It lived up to its reputation, that's for sure.
3: Yeah, well, he, you know, he's a hard hard guy to say no to.
1: You're not kidding. That's very true. Hey, listen, terrific stuff. Thanks for catching up to us. Please uh, say hi to Kim and the kids and uh always uh, enjoy the opportunity for you to be on the program. It's great stuff.
3: And, yeah, you know, anytime and, and I appreciate you pulling this one out of the uh out of the closet. And, uh I'm going to definitely look forward to listening to
1: it. Sounds good. Let me know what you think, all right? We'll do. Ryan Carr joining us here, uh, director of player personnel, Indiana Pacers, former UTEP assistant, and uh, one of these subjects tonight of the Don Haskins Hour. Adrian's back with SportsCenter. We're 30 minutes away from the Don Haskins Hour right here on 600 ESPN El Paso.
0: 600 ESPN El Paso.com All right, let's go over to some college basketball news. Arizona freshman Nico Mannion is entering the 2020 NBA draft. He told ESPN today, Mannion, who's the number 14 prospect in the ESPN Top 100, is considered one of the top point guards in this draft class, averaging 14 points, five and a half assists per game for the Wildcats this past season, while being named to the All Pac-12 second team. The six foot three playmaker was identified as a standout early in his career. He was invited to three USA basketball camps as a 15 and 16 year old before ultimately committing to play for the Italian national team at at the U16 European Championship in which he averaged 20 points 6 rebounds and 4 assists in just 28 minutes per game. Mannion holds dual citizenship having been born in Siena, Italy while his father Pace Mannion, an NBA draft pick in 1983, was playing professional basketball out there. Let's go to more news coming out of college basketball Duke freshman guard Cassius Stanley will enter the NBA draft the school announced today. Stanley who's 20 years old confirmed the decision with a post on social media saying quote the past several weeks has given me a lot of time to think. It really put the past year into perspective and although this is the end to our season and how it was disappointing I feel blessed to have worn the Duke jersey. He was an all ACC freshman selection and a six foot six guard who is Ranked number fifty on the ESPN top one hundred. And that's a look at your sports center update for six hundred ESPN El Paso. I'm Adrian Bradis.
1: Adrian, thank you very much. Once again, our thanks uh, to uh, Ryan Carr. We've got lines available right now. If you want to get in, eight eight zero five seven six three. That is our telephone number. Eight eight zero five seven six three gets you through to Sports Talk. You still have time to vote on our free mobile app powered by United Bank. You can always send us your vote via the message uh, that we offer the chat feature on the app. The uh, which again, if you haven't downloaded the app, I advise you to do so. You can listen to the radio. It'll sound uh, just like you're uh, with us in the studios, in our Lubingo studios, and also um, having uh, the opportunity to interact with us on the program, especially if you are not, um, you know, you don't tweet, you're not on social media, but you still want to be part of it. This gives you an opportunity to do so, even if uh, you don't want to call into the program. We've we've given you that opportunity and had some great uh, uh, interactions with our listeners on the podcast. Uh, app chat um, feature that we offer up through uh, 600 ESPN El Paso's app powered by United Bank. So we'd love to hear from you. eight eight zero five seven six three 5763 is the phone number. And again, you still have an opportunity to weigh in and vote uh, as we continue each day this week um, voting to get to the Sweet 16 of our all-time UTEP men's basketball um, bracket. That is out right now uh, through 600 ESPN, El Paso.com. All right. Some other stories we want to talk about uh, here on the program, other than just Mike Leach and his cultural awareness of the state. Um, And that just broke a little while ago. I don't know if you saw that or not, Adrian, but uh, apparently uh, Mike Leach uh, had this controversial tweet. So it led to the athletic director issuing a statement today, saying there's a plan in place to provide Leach with opportunities to expand his cultural awareness of Mississippi.
0: Yeah, actually, I did see this. And, you know, it's funny because uh, Mike Leach has been savage all over Twitter. I mean, ever since he, he uh, started his own Twitter page, he's kept it, you know, off subject, on uh, off uh, football, and uh, really likes to tweet out his own thoughts. But sometimes, yeah, he definitely pushes it a little too far. And I think this is one of many different times where the athletic director comes on him for uh, comments he made on social media.
1: The tweet that is causing all the controversy depicted a woman knitting her husband a noose during self-quarantine. Not only did some of the Bulldogs players not like it, but he had even had a defensive lineman who entered the transfer portal, and his father went on to say that he didn't feel comfortable with his son playing for Leach with a guy like that from a leadership standpoint. So that was something you wouldn't normally expect to hear, but hey, that, that is what went down, and now you've got the director of athletics trying to to um, make Mike Leach more culturally aware of the state of Mississippi. So, pretty crazy. Leach even deleted the tweet, which was posted last Wednesday, and issued an apology the next day, saying quote, I sincerely regret if my choice of images in my tweets were found offensive. I had no intention of offending anyone. Nonetheless, that's exactly uh, what went down there with Mike Leach. Tomorrow, when we bring uh, Jay Jaffe and Jeff Erickson on, one of the topics that's been brought up, Adrian, this is so interesting, baseball is trying to figure out how they Can start up again in the month of May and put together a schedule where all 30 teams are in one state. They're talking about Arizona and Phoenix right now, and they would play either in Chase Field or in outdoor ballparks in front of empty, um, you know, there's no fans while they look to uh, jumpstart uh, the game and get things going again. And it just seems like it's a great idea in principle but I don't know how they're gonna figure out how to execute this even if as they claim they will uh, essentially buy out hotels keep players quarantined only going to and from the ballparks and the hotel trying to figure out a, I guess a sense of normalcy I, I just don't know if it's gonna be able if they're gonna be able to pull it off
0: yeah it's a tough one right there Steve and I actually really like the idea too imagine if we think of the year of 2020 as the year baseball went to the desert and that's what it could be looking at right Right now, if they play in Arizona, whether it be in Chase Field, the other 10 spring training facilities and maybe other nearby fields. But hey, if that means baseball is coming back, it could pioneer a lot for other sports like, you know, basketball trying to start up again, hockey even doing something. But I'm just really interested how they're going to tackle something like this.
1: Baseball does realize that it's really, really hot in Arizona during the months of May and June. Uh, especially outdoors, playing games in those spring training facility uh, facilities, it's crazy. All right, let me go to the phones. We got Jaime in uh, Santa Teresa joining us next. Thirty nine past the sports talk continues. Jaime, welcome aboard. Good to have you on the program.
4: Well, uh, people from El Paso, especially a sports fanatics, don't know what, what great show and great great uh, guests you get on, and it's, we're fortunate to have you guys on the air for us. Thank you, and appreciate it. Now my Rocky Calavito story. Uh, I remember seeing him when he played with Cleveland, and uh, you'd see the Yankees play every Saturday back in those days in the early '60s on TV because they were owned by CBS. And you you basically knew who the Yankees were, but you really didn't know who the other team was. So like when teams like in the American League, like Detroit or Cleveland, would come and play, we were playing New York. You know, we'd be watching us young guys in those days. They didn't have nothing else in the summer but to watch baseball. So uh, I remember Rocky Calavito, he hit a home run, and and he's running around the bases, and he's kind of like pigeon-toed. Uh, if you know what I mean, he's, uh, he's, he's he runs like a little bit pigeon-toed. And uh, it was funny because the next day, all the guys wanted to run like Rocky Calavito, kind of sort of like pigeon-toed. And it's kind of like, what the heck's going on with you guys? And, and so... That went on, and so we started Little League in Socorro. Socorro was the first Little League in El Paso in 1961. We played at the church. We had a backstop in between the the mission and the cemetery. And you'd have to go to mass at 9 o'clock if you were going to play at the 10 o'clock game and then go right there and play ball. And we had teams, four teams from Socorro and two teams from El Paso. The El Paso Junior Sun Kings, which I was very jealous because they had the same uniforms as the Sun Kings wore. And the Cedar Grove Pirates. The Pirates had this guy named Leo Caravillo, who I believe now is the Baseball Hall of Fame uh, president, and he was uh, just a terror. And this is ages back then from 8 to 12. And that was the only little league in in El Paso. And I remember my dad was a big, uh, of course, Socorro, a big baseball town. My dad was uh, managing the Socorro Cougars. And the Cougars were a powerhouse in in baseball in the Lower Valley Semi-Pro League. And uh, one Friday... He got me and says, come on, let's go buy you a baseball bat. So there's only two places you could buy baseball bats back in the early 60s. El Paso Sporting Goods, which was on Stanton mm-hmm. across the street, what is now the Wells Fargo building. And uh, the popular dry goods had a sporting, se- sporting goods section on the second floor downtown. So we went to both places, and you would see all these bats. They're all, all Little League Louisville Slugger bats, and they all had different names on them, different pro names. And uh, I saw the Mickey Mantle one and the Willie Mays one, and my dad just said, wait a minute. He says, this bat's for you, it's not for nobody else. You have to pick a bat that'll be, that's good for your hands and good for your size and good for your weight. So I ended up picking up a Rocky Colorado bat. And from that point in its history, I think I kept that bat for about all my Little League years. I, I remember I cracked it once, got some uh, a little nail, a little penny nail, and banged it in the, the handle and taped it up, and there I go play, playing with it again, and all the guys used to love that that bat. But back in the day, you know, when every little, little Slugger had a name of a pro on it, and everybody wanted to emulate that pro player that was on the bat, and we enjoyed it, and I had a lot of fun. Ah, but Socorro, like I tell you, Socorro's the baseball capital of El Paso, and it was just enjoyable. But, again, thank you for, for having Rocky Colorado today, especially after what with Alcala passing last weekend. For those of us that grew, in that grew up in that era and uh, idolized these guys, they were it's just awesome. Thank you, guys.
1: You got it. Appreciate it, Pinky. Thanks for the call. We'll come back, Final Countdown, as we get you ready for the Don Haskins Hour. Coming up with special guests Ryan Carr and Sergio Rocco right here on 600, TSPN El Paso.
0: 600 ESPN El Paso.